1: Well, hello, everyone. It's Pastured Pig podcast time again. As Kelly said, I am your host, Troy McClung. Really glad that you all decided to join me again this week. Um, some updates, you may hear that in the background. That's not static. That's actually rain. And we have had two, actually, going on our third solid day of rain. Now I am so Hippie, <laughs> It is. It is excellent. We had gone, uh, I think it was about seven weeks when I went back and actually looked at the, uh, the details there. Seven weeks without any rain of any measurable amount. And uh, so now we're getting it here in, uh, in about three days worth. So we've got, uh, our streams are full again. The pigs are happy. Their wallows are back intact. And uh, it's just happy times. Well, my guest this week is Andrea Sorensen from Rooted Acres Homestead in Wisconsin. And uh, she has an interesting story. She raises American Guinea hogs uh, at a production level. Uh, They offer mobile sales, and I won't get into that. I'll let her detail what that's all about. And uh, they have a polyculture there, so they raise more than just pigs. And they're doing a combination of feeding out hay and brewer's grain uh, in their regimen. But uh, we'll dive right into the conversation with Andrea. Well, hello everybody. Welcome back to the Pastured Pig Podcast. Uh, have another great guest on uh, lined up tonight that we're going to be interviewing, and uh, with me tonight I have from Wisconsin on Rooted Acres Homestead, Andrea Sorensen. Welcome, Andrea.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: All right. Well, okay. So uh, in Wisconsin, you guys probably have mild seasons all year long, correct? Oh
2: yeah, of course. Right. Um, if <laughs> yeah if anyone was in the midwest this past winter spring i think they've experienced some fun that's for sure so we can talk we've definitely we had our first sparrowing in winter so we can talk about that later but yeah
1: yeah that that, beautiful people (laughs) could be a little bit of a challenge up there i would assume all right well let's uh let's let's talk about uh rooted acres homestead uh first of all let's talk about the name what's the um What's the background behind the name Rooted Acres?
2: You know, naming a farm is always something you kind of toy around with when you're getting started. We bought this property uh, in western Wisconsin about four years ago. And we started, we've always had chickens, but we moved into other livestock pretty quickly. And pigs, since they root, that got the name Rooted Acres. And we hope to have pigs in our future. Mm-hmm. So
1: that's where the name came from. Very good. Very good. I like that. Okay. Okay. So let's uh, give us a uh, 40,000 foot elevation uh, uh, explanation of your, of your homestead, of your farm there. Uh, just kind of a, an overview of what you've got.
2: Yep. So we are in Western Wisconsin. We are actually about an hour east of the twin cities in Minnesota. So we're on that, you know, rivalry border of the Packers versus Vikings.
3: Hmm.
2: And, we have we live in like a very rolling hills area, um, not too steep, but we're able to have a lot of pasture land, especially on our property. We have about 22 acres, most of that being hay field pasture, and then a little bit of wooded. And then you know, depending on what direction you go in Wisconsin, because of glacier effects, you know, can quickly get very flat or very hilly. Um, we also have um, in the spring Valley area, that's where we actually have our farm. Um, our climate seems to be pretty up and down, of course, you know, being in the Midwest. So, and our elevation is a thousand feet elevation. So, you know, pretty average.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a, sounds like a pretty good setup. So, uh, with the 22 acres, um, you said a small portion of that wooded. Do you do you have your pigs on on that entire operation? I know you're polyculture, so you probably have some of that shared with some of your other livestock.
2: Yeah. So we actually, in the winter, we move our pigs to the forest or kind of near our house in the woods. That seems to help protect them from the wind. And it's, you know, culture for chores, and we're dealing with snow in the winter and then freezing water. Whereas And then in the spring and summer and fall, we move the pigs out into the pasture where we have separate paddocks to move them through. So that seems to work really well. You know, always the challenge of moving pigs, but we're able to take advantage of our property that way.
1: Yeah, excellent. Yeah, so the the forest kind of becomes um, uh, do you keep them kind of in a, in a smaller section there so it kind of becomes a bit of a sacrificial area in the wintertime?
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Still sacrificial, definitely. Yeah. And it's been so rainy this past few months that We've had like a really high precipitation in our um, late winter, and now even now we got two inches today. So, uh, trying to clear that out, it is pretty muddy. But as soon as it freezes, it is it stays pretty well. And you know, pigs in the winter they kind of just have their roots to the food, to the hut, and then they don't really seem to adventure much out past that.
1: Right. Exactly. Well, okay. So, um, what what type of pig, what breed are you raising?
2: We raise American Guinea Hogs. We've had a few fluctuations in there, but um, how we came across the breed, one, we were doing some research. I mean, you know, our first pigs, you know, what's a good starter pig? And we came across American Guinea Hog. You know, a smaller breed. They're a small, black, upright eared pig, very hairy. Um, they don't get as big as their boars and sows which is appealing as a first-time pig owner and potentially breeder. Um, So then we ended up, you know, purchasing our first two barrels. So that was our appeal. There's another factor of we were reading about their nice, but really great meat quality since they take longer to raise. So that was appealing to us as first-time pig
3: owners.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's interesting. Obviously there's, um, you know, when you, when you talk to, if you, Hold all these different pig farmers, uh, pasture pig farmers. Yeah, you know, there's 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 people that say, okay, those smaller breeds, uh, you, you're you're not going to be able to get as much yield on them, and and you know all the, mm-hmm. the negatives there. But uh, and I'm torn between both. But uh, there's a lot of benefit in raising uh, the smaller breeds, uh, as you mentioned, obviously yeah. handling and and just that in general. But what are some of the other benefits you've seen with those smaller breeds? Well, one you
2: know. Moving, them been, moving a pig is always quite uh, like the feed. If they don't want to go there, they don't want them to move. So, learning how to move a pig with food as a you know you know don't feed them feed them a little later in the day and then we can we've taught them to go up our ramp on our trailer and then we were able to move them that way. So that was a good appeal. Um, you know, smaller litters for someone that's starting with breeding is always a good thing. To think about you know you don't want to end up with 12 pigs right away piglets at least you know and then you have to figure out how to castrate and how you're going to deal with or you know you know promoting or selling your meat that's a good way to start we always have loved their personalities they're extremely tame our boar is probably our friendliest pig um, he's the first to flop and we actually ended up with a there's a couple different lines of american guinea hogs You know, there's bigger ones that have, like, longer noses, it seems to be, and then more petite, smaller ones that have more short snouts. They don't rip as much. Our sows are more of the petite breed line. They have shorter noses. They're a little bit smaller. But uh, we also have another line in the beginning, and that's our boar. He's much larger than some of the standards for American guinea hogs. I did a tape measure on him last night to just kind of get an estimate of his weight. And he's pushing over 500 pounds. Wow. which for American guinea hog, is kind of large, actually.
3: Yeah, that's pretty we're good not, size. Pretty
2: big. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty big size. Um, so we kind of have a bigger strain, at least in this um, western Wisconsin area. So, you know, that's one thing to consider is how big the pig is um, for the American guinea hog line. Because I've also heard people having really, really small ones. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. 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 There, there is, there seems to be a lot of variation in that. So how about finishing time? So what's your, what's your turn time and finish and what do you consider a, uh, you know, a market weight for your American Guinea home?
2: In that, if that's something we've been playing around with. Um, we've had our first, you know, we started with barrels, which I advise for anyone starting with pigs, just get some barrels, some castrated males or feeder pigs that you're going to, a little them then And then, so our first one, we slaughtered and they were 220 pounds at market live weight. Hmm. And then, we brought, so that was after, that must have been, I was about 13 months of age. And then, I brought in a female that was, we bought her as a breeding skill, but she never produced piglets, um, I talked to some fellow people that bought some bought piglets from them and they also had the same issue, but she was about two years old and her hanging weight surprised me was
3: 280
2: pounds. Hmm. Wow. It's Giddy Hog. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's, that's pretty good.
2: <laughs> that is like, and then she had a little bit of a curl to her first, so I, I suspect maybe somewhere in the line. A mangleita got snuck in. That's just my that's my guess.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, okay.
2: So that's one thing about buying. You don't, you know, you buy and look at the condition of the animal, and then you know, decide if that'll be right for your farm. It's always hard to know unless it's a registered line. We do not run a registered line, um, so we don't know if they're hundred hundred percent purebred. We're trusting that person for that information, but so far we've been really happy with them.
1: Excellent. So, how are they on pasture? What's um, how do they handle the pasture? How much do you have to supplement? Um, how's that working out?
3: Great. So
2: we um, move them on, in the summer. I'll talk about summer first. That's easier. We move them on part of the hay field that we kind of like establish as the pay area. And there's three different areas that we can rotate them through. Um, we just kind of wait till they eat it down and move them to the next. And sometimes we have to go in and brush hog the burdocks and the tall weeds that they just don't quite take down. But on top of their pasture that they knock down, and we haven't had a huge issue with ridding. Um, and maybe if we move them enough, that's part of a solution for folks. But on top of their pasture, we give them some grain from a local um, producer, um, okay. just a hog feed ration, and that's very minimal. I give them probably oof, you know, a few scoops a day, like one of those small couple-gallon buckets, for, and we have eight pigs right now, um, which isn't really a whole lot. And then I give them a little bit of corn, soaked corn, and then we also get brewery grain yeah, as okay. part of our feed.
1: Yeah, oh, that's good. So that is like Which, you said. That you said is is, is a, you're given a rash and You're not given access to unlimited feed because you you want them to, to stay on the on the pasture.
2: No, that yeah, that's a big thing with this breed specifically. I think if you open stud them, they would become like wood ticks, <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: like <laughs> unable <laughs> to walk. <laughs> <laughs> Just little sausage legs sticking out.
2: <laughs> yeah, and that and that's another thing too about this breed that I you didn't know, mention too much before, but they are a lard type. Um if you overfeed them, they will become extremely fat and blubbery, yeah, which is something most people aren't used to in their pork. Yeah. Um, but it's something to consider when buying a large type breed.
1: yeah, definitely. okay, so so they they handle the pasture pretty well. It sounds like a small amount of supplement, and, uh, and then you uh, you just move them around. So what happens when you transition into the uh, the colder months there?
2: Yeah. That's when the we still keep giving them that grain unless we have a lactating sow or a sow. I know that's going to go in the farrowing and then I'll give her a little extra. But for the most part, I keep their grain the same. And brewery grain, that's been a really nice plus. We have a local brewery that I got in contact with. We get about, depending on the week, between 400 or plus pounds of brewery grain of
3: hmm.
2: um, their waste barley that's a nice way for us to make this very cost efficient for having hogs and still working a full-time job. Um, So we give them the brewery grain uh, in the winter and in the summer, but in the winter it's a nice way to make our costs as much. And then we also give them a lot of hay. So a lot of people talk about American gaming hogs being a hay eating breed or, you know, a very good pasture pig. I do believe that you, Need to give them supplements. Hmm. I think if I was giving them 100% hay, they would have a hard time. But once they're done eating that grain, I see them munching on the alfalfa in the winter for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, excellent. So, um, so since you overwinter uh, pigs, uh, what are you doing for shelters? Did do, do you have shelter? I know you said you have them in the in the woods, and that helps as a windbreak. Do you have portable huts? Do you have a mm-hmm. barn? How are you how are you accommodating them there?
2: We have portable huts. We have one that's more of a wooden bigger, you know, probably six by ten. I use that if we happen to have winter fair- winter farrowings or it gets into the colder season for that. Um, but we also have some metal, like you see the traditional arched huts that you can find for sale. We've collected a couple of those, and they seem to do really well. We pack them really deep of bedding, and they stack right next to each other in the winter. Last winter. Uh, on the weather, if anyone's watching the Northwest. But we had quite, or the Midwest, excuse me, uh, quite the cold snap. We had a polar vortex last winter, so mm-hmm. we were dipping down into the negative 50s in our wind chills. And million. it great. It was amazing.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a little brisk. <laughs> it was. Yeah,
2: just a little... <laughs> They would still just munch in the snow, eat their feed, and drink water. It was amazing. I think if it was that cold, I would get maybe drinking some water. But we actually had a farrowing in that as well. Oh, my goodness. It still was successful.
1: (laughs) Wow. All right. So, you know, I apologize for going back, but I I, I missed a question I wanted to ask you. You had mentioned that you get um, as much as 400 pounds a week of, of brewer's grain. So. If I'm yeah. understanding you right, yeah, you're not you're not feeding all that out that entire week. So, are you, are you storing that? How does that keep, or do you kind of spread that out across some of your other animals?
2: Brewery grain is like a a great um, thing to have, but there is definitely pros and cons with it. So, you know, if you get the opportunity. Just be aware of how much you're taking in. This is a smaller brewery, so we taking what they have each week and it can depend from one load a week which is like those big muck buckets Um, so we get like four in each load and they're wet and that's the tricky part if they were dry it would be easy Mm, so we take them in and in the summer you're dealing with mold and flies so I try to feed them out pretty quickly in the summer you know like a bucket a day like one of those big muck buckets but I spread it between our chickens and our meat chickens, our layer chickens, and our pigs, and a boar. And then in the winter, then you have the flip side, the okay. freezes. So there's a couple times where are like, hauling them in the house to thaw them, or I would get a hot bucket of water to pour over it to kind of chisel it out. So there are some challenges with it, but it is a free feed. There's that, that factor there, so you kind of muscle through it.
3: <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, kind of factor that into uh just, just you know, balance the, the, the free feed to the, the labor associated with it, and you just factor that into your, your operation there.
2: Yeah, I've heard of people trying to, like, dry it out, but it's just,
1: it's really wet.
2: It's quite wet, so the labor of even trying to dry it would be quite the feat. So we just kind of do what we can, and if, you know, if a bucket gets too ripe from the summer, we dump it out back and put it on the compost. So yeah. That works, too.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. So, so back to your your last point before I messed up and backed you up. So with your farrowing, <laughs> so you farred in the wintertime. I, um, I assume you farred other times as well. Uh, how how is faring? How does farrowing go with American guinea? Do you have to? Uh, do you have to assist? Is there any special setups you have to do there?
2: No, I. We have had our first farrowing ever was I think she had them too early. So we we've had four farrowings total on her farm so far. First one, I think she had them too early, had no interest in the piglets when they did pass. Um, The next we had in the fall, last fall, all successful and the shelter was pretty quite, it was very minimal. She built a nest, a little overhang lean-to and she did great. You know, it was rainy, piglets were tough so no assisting but so easy birthing. I haven't had to do Anything with uh, assisting with birds so far, luckily. Um, and later litters or farrowing that we've had was the last one was in the no in the middle was polar vortex one that was a little tricky. You know, I didn't think she was bred, and I looked at her and I was like, mm, I think I think she's going to have piglets. David, that's my significant other, mm-hmm. and. I was like, we should probably, we enclosure her into one of the huts, put a heat lamp in there, covered the hut with blankets to kind of help insulate, and it went really well. Uh, we only lost two, actually, out of that farrowing, so we feel very lucky that way. Yeah. And then the most recent one was last May. We have two larger sows that we kind of alternate. Um, she had nine American Mini Hogs, hmm. but there's always the crushing issue, it seems like, with the large breeds, especially if they're the shorter ones with short little legs, and she did crush quite a few of her piglets, so hmm.
1: part of the game. So what are you seeing? You said in that litter you had nine. What are you seeing uh, litter size on average? We
2: We've seen between four and ten seem to be our size I'd like to you know nine I feel like you know, for some that's that's not pretty many but with these it seems like it's better if we have like eight or seven but you know with her it seems like she got kind of downhill and every time she rocked to get up we had a little bit of crushing issues but I think that's something that happens when you feral on the ground and you know Hopefully. Yeah. Once it yeah. gets,
1: yeah. Yeah, and, and and that's obviously not uh not exclusive to the AGH. I mean, all pigs, and we we yeah. have that issue with our full size breeds, and and that really becomes the um you know the challenge. And you know, if we we polled everybody, I know there's some that that listen to podcasts that would argue they're probably screaming right now at their at their uh, mobile device or whatever, <laughs> saying yeah, farrowing crates, farrowing crates, and. And, I know, and that opens a whole another whole another can of worms and a whole another debate that will be a different podcast. But yeah, it, it it as a as a producer, and you have those days, you go out to the barn and you see that, uh, then that, that definitely sticks in the back of your mind. If if maybe there's not some um, you know, not some merit to to using one of those.
2: I know, and even you know, we we talked about that because you hate to go out there and find them crushed. It's like, oh, they would have made it just a couple more days. They'd be a little bit more. To get around, mom getting up and down, you know, and if it's cold at all, they go next to her. And we have a heat lamp, but still, there's always mom. Uh, we so we've have considered a fairing cra- crate even within like the first couple days mm-hmm. it could make a dramatic difference in survival rate. Right? So it's something we talk about, but we're learning. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, and it's I think I think you just have to just have to figure out what's best for your farm and for your livestock and for your setup. Um yeah, you'd think with um especially in the wintertime fairwines that the heat lamp would would draw them away from from mom enough that you wouldn't have that, but they like I said they always they always got to come back and nurse, they got to feed. So
2: Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Well, all right, well you'd mentioned this uh, already before, but let's talk about that a little bit. So um, so you have a day job, do, does your significant other have a day job as well, and how do you balance all of that with uh, with farm life?
2: Yeah, so I am a full-time teacher at high school, a local high school and they're a teacher. And then my significant other, the other, we've been together nine years, so it's been a while. Uh, he works for the city in our town as well, so. Uh, it's not, what's nice about being a teacher is, you know, everyone says we have the summers off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's always nice in the summer to really devote to farm. And that's when I can take the time to look you know, at our garden, focus on, we have other animals too, like sheep too, focus on lambs, um, raising meat birds, and focusing on like pigs and farmers' markets And in the school year, which now it's September, <gasps> Uh, back into the swing of things, you know, balancing working full time and chores and just doing management of the farm on the weekends, nights and weekends, which, are, you know, if you're starting out, it seems like that's kind of common. So, yeah, rushing yeah. home, doing chores and
1: right. using
2: the daylight as much as possible. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Play beat the clock with the the sunset. Uh, and I know what that's like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, all right, so um, all right, so you mentioned something there about farmers' markets. So, to to bring everybody up to speed, obviously you're not just raising uh, uh, the AGH for your personal consumption; you are actually reselling. Uh, so let's let's go ahead and go down that path. Um, uh, where where are you reselling? How are you reselling? What's that look like for you
3: all? We do a
2: farmers' market every summer. But we have the last two. And we do a variety of selling pork, lamb, sourdough bread, and some vegetables. And, oh, and eggs, of course. So we have to do some, like, research on, like, how, what do I need to sell this pork and lamb and then um, potentially eggs at a farmer's market Because town and, like, you know, bring a bundle of asparagus. Uh, so I went into the Wisconsin Department of Egg and looked into what kind of licensure we needed and it actually wasn't so bad some of the paperwork can kind of be a little bit you know wordy and confusing but if I had any questions i would call and we have a mobile retail food establishment establishment license and all that took was an application they called and asked what you know livestock we had and then they did come out and inspect
3: us
2: they mm. so looked at our livestock they inspected our freezer, so it had to have a thermometer that read in and out of the freezer and then inspected our coolers. So it's not like we had to have a plug in, you know, clear top freezer at the farmers market. All we actually needed was freeze coolers with a thermometer. So a nice quality cooler for the thermometer. So it really wasn't too too bad. And now that we have the license, we just keep it with us at the farmer's market, the meat has to stay a certain temperature frozen and then we just bring it and then sell what we have and then bring it back to our feeder
1: at home once they're done, if there's any leftovers. Yeah, okay. So so let's talk about farmer's market, because I know there's there's always a lot of debate, especially when it comes to smaller producers, about the effectiveness of mm-hmm. farmer's market. So w- when you look at that, I assume, is, is, that, a, is that a Saturday gig? So you're spending uh, every Saturday at the the market during the season?
3: We choose
2: which weeks we want and we found it being pretty effective you know this is only this is only our second summer so we're pretty new at it next summer might be different um even just choosing it's nice to be there weekly because then the customer gets to know you you know they expect you there they want your products, so then they're going to come back looking for you this past summer we only did the spring and early summer but every week my sister got married, you know, life um, in July. So we had to take a break. But by doing every week, that seemed to work pretty well. People expect us there and then got to know our product. And what's also nice is you're selling by the cut instead of by the half of the hole, which I would like to get into because it is easier. But, you know, it's always that thing when people want to buy a half or a whole. Like, not that I'm, you know, I know our product is good, but it's not something that everyone's used to. You know, the cuts tend to be a little bit smaller, a little bit more fat on them. So just that conversation that you can have at the farmer's market, and, you know, if they buy a pack of bacon or they buy some pork chops, that's only, you know, eight, nine bucks that they're spending and trying rather than investing in a whole hog wow. or half a hog. So that is a nice thing to have. I mean, a lot of the American guinea hogs or large-type breeds. seems like you are kind of educating, you know, This breed takes a long time to raise. They have a lot more red marbled meat. There's a lot more fat. So, you know, how to use the lard, how to use the fat. So there's that as well. So just kind of like figuring out what people want and if they like it and if we need to, like, move a different direction or not. So.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, one thing that always sticks in my mind too, you know, again, being a, being a marketing guy, I, I think it's it my wheels turning when you, you talk about that setup. So uh, kind of two points to this question. So at the farmer's market, I assume uh, you've got a great opportunity there as, as people come to see you as you get repeat customers, are you collecting data on your customers so you can communicate with them about sales outside the market? Yeah. So we've, you know,
2: we've had, People that, you know, we see commonly, like getting product, a lot of times I'll try and get their number. And then hopefully when we move into halves and wholes, that would be the person I would go after. Yeah. Um, You know, and as we keep going, hopefully that becomes more and more. It would be nice to just be able to call someone and take a half a hog rather than piecing it out piece by piece. And that's kind of going down a different rabbit hole here. That's something I could see us doing in the future, you know, making like packages mm-hmm. instead of just like piece by piece selling a barbecue package where you have pork chops, ribs, pork steaks, you know, so you get, you're not selling like all your bacon in one shot.
1: Right, exactly.
2: Um, you know, people are used to certain cuts and they're not used to a pork steak, it seems like. And um, that's not, a, even though it's delicious. So that would be a nice way to not, to sell holes and have you know are the investment that someone else can make but you know get a nice lot of meat but i'm not selling out on my bacon
1: yeah yeah and again being polyculture i assume you can uh, as you look into that more you can can even look at doing uh uh, cross you know cross uh, species uh packets i know on our farm we would do we would always call it our our breakfast package and my wife would do. We'd sell the chicken eggs. We'd sell either bacon or sausage, and then we'd also incorporate uh, homemade bread into that. And uh, so that was, was kind of a neat, uh, you know, kind of a neat way to package it. Kind of have a little bit of a nostalgic element to it, and, and would resonate well with our customers.
2: Yeah, yeah, super smart. You know, we we do meat birds every spring for sure. This year we we're actually doing the fall batch. We do our lambs, and you know, so if you had a lamb package, you know. Sometimes
3: they're kind of small-looking in a package, so it'd be nice to bulk them up with some pork and chicken.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, um, also uh, along the same lines of being uh, being polyculture, do you see that at the farmers' market? The fact that you have eggs, you have lamb, you have chicken is that does that help with your pork sales? I mean, or do you have very diversified uh, customers? that are coming sc- exclusively for this particular item. We are selling in
2: a smaller town farmer's market it's not you know not teeny tiny but so i wouldn't say we're getting like as many hits on the pork as i'd like to see uh but we do do like from scratch sourdough bread which brings customers in you know that's the one thing we're telling me at the farmer's market that is hard unless you have a nice clear covered cooler or like freezer they don't the product. I can't just let a pork chop sit out on the table. Right. Uh, right. We made the mistake already once. Do not have your pork wrapped in paper if you're selling at the farmers market. It's a lot easier to be like, "Would you like to see this cut?" It's wrapped in plastic, and it's a lot easier to, you know, bring to the farmers market and bring home and freeze. You know, kind of gets a little bit wet. It's not a big deal with plastic, but it's paper, it's a little bit trickier. Uh, but that's something we've learned. Do not wrap them. take customers falling at the market. We can at least show them quickly what it looks like. But that has been kind of a trick. We've leaned toward retail service, which is like a high-selling spring crop, and we'll sell the sourdough breads that brings people in. They have something to see, and then
1: we can push our meat. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 excellent. Yeah, and I, I agree with you on the vacuum sealed. I, I think if you're dealing in cuts at all. Uh, whether it's mm-hmm. at a farmer's market or whether you're, uh, you're, you're selling them off the farm. Yeah, people want to see that, especially if they're not that familiar. And as you said, it, it's a great point. People know bacon, they know sausage, and most of them know pork chops. But when you start talking about a, a picnic roast or you talk about uh, you know, ham steaks or some of those things or ribs or, or uh, you know, incorporating some of the other elements, you know, that always get strange looks when we talk about jowl. And um, yeah, so, yeah, pe- people just have to see it to be able to understand it.
2: Yeah, exactly.
3: Okay,
2: and that and that's to lead feel to like you know cooking it as well, um, you know dealing with the extra fat. You know our pork, our bacon does have more fat, so I can, uh, you know, how to drain off your bacon grease and actually use it to cook the potatoes. You know, it's a great as right. well. Take his hand.
1: Yeah, and I think it's, it's it's funny too, as you as you mentioned, you know, the a educating people on how to use it, but also tearing down some. Some uh, bad education that that we've gone through over the past several decades about how oh lard lard will kill you dead you know, you never use lard because it's you know, it it's what's giving everybody heart attacks and and you find you know, all this information is is so not true um, oh yeah so it, you, know, it's, it, you you find it to be a challenge you know we have a lot of uh, what I call ur- urban customers that. That when they say, "Oh, you, you know, you, you being a pig farmer, you're you're probably one foot in the grave already because of the bacon that you eat." It's like, ah, oh, no, actually, my you know, last well, physical, I'm in pretty good shape. <laughs> but, uh, but that whole discussion yeah. of you know, pig fat is unhealthy. Uh, you know, this 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 animal is not a healthy animal to eat on a regular basis.
2: Well, even just lard. You know, having conversations with people about lard, and I wish I could sell rendered lard, but since if you render it, you're processed, it, so you can't sell it. I could sell. Raw lard, unprocessed, but, uh, you know, the vitamin D that's in it is just huge because what you only find in pasture pigs because they are out in the sun absorbing all that vitamin D into the fat rather than pigs that are, you know, housed in barns. So just like the beneficial factors of that, such a, you know, not processed food, you know, using lard and cooking for everything instead of your canola oils. Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. Okay, well let's um let's look here at um, so so you're saying right now you're you're primarily doing the cuts you're you're not getting into holes and in halves a lot or are you 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 are currently selling some holes and halves?
2: Well holes and halves they do are to family and friends right now. so you know I'd like to venture out into beyond that. that's kind of the next step, especially as we're getting, you know, as, as you have more piglets and you keep them back, it seems like you seem to collect some gilts. And right now I have one that looks like she's about ready to pop. So, you know, having a few more piglets on hand, it would be nice to not have to freeze all those cuts. And that's where having and hold are nice. We sell them, they pick them up from the butcher. Uh, I don't have to worry about freezing them uh, while we're waiting for farmer's market customers. So that would be something I'd like to look into the future, yeah. selling more holes and halves.
1: Yeah, and like you say, they go ahead. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I was going to say that that does give give you the variety that that you need there and can help. Um, It's nice to be able to move it, move inventory faster and and that that balance. uh, And this is, you know, this is a whole other Mm -hmm. podcast as well, talking about, you know, when you sell a whole or half and you can. Uh, pass the production costs, the, the the processing costs onto your customer. Uh, then you don't have to shoulder that. But when you sell individual cuts, then you have yeah. to you know, you have to have that out of pocket for the processor. So that affects cash flow. Again, you can put that into your your unit price, but that affects cash flow. If you if you've butchered you know three or four or five ten hogs uh, for cuts and you, you have to absorb all that processing up front, then then that can affect cash flow. Oh yeah, and then you got you have
2: to freeze it and. Freezer cost. We just bought our fifth freezer last Friday.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm feeling it. <laughs> yeah, we we built a walk-in on our on our farm, and that was probably one of the biggest mistakes I've made. I I should have just invested. Oh in, yeah, <laughs> I should have just invested in uh, in more freezers instead of trying to be um, Mr. Handyman and, and do my own because it was what I thought would be very inexpensive turned out to be very expensive.
2: Walk-in freezer.
1: Yeah, yeah. We built an eight by eight okay. walk-in. Yeah, so so yeah, it was. It was a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I can. I
2: I, I talked about that. Maybe I should not do that.
1: <laughs> well, it, it's it's one of those things. It's nice. To, I got the unit, the actual freezing unit, for free. It was it was a barter. Okay. And so I thought, wow, I'm 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 really ahead of a lot of costs. Uh, but by the time I got the 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 box built, and and I tried to do that myself when I should have just looked to buy a, a, a prefab unit, uh, the door, all of those type of things. Uh, the freezer works great, but it costs me about a hundred fifty dollars a month in electricity to operate. So it's oh, uh, yeah, it gets it gets a little steep. So I I really have to have Ooh. it full to justify it running. Yeah, yeah,
3: that's
2: more than I thought it would be. Wow. Oof. all right. I'll stick to my chest freezers and
3: upgrades.
1: Well, it, it's one of those <laughs> things too. Again, that that unit is a moose yeah. unit. It it could it could probably do four times the size. Um, but again, being free, yeah. I'm thinking, oh, that's free. You know, what What are the costs going to be? Well, you know, when you you drive a Cadillac and you got to repair a Cadillac, then you have to pay Cadillac prices. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
2: exactly. That'll be fun to fill, though.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's times, yeah, when we we process fifteen to twenty at a time. We we do pack it pretty full, so it it does come in handy. Yeah. So.
2: Yeah, definitely. There's nothing worse than feeling short on freezer space.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's the panic picking all this up from the processor yeah. is it going to fit so let's t- <laughs> let's talk about your processor what are your processing options up there are you, are you USDA do you do you have just state inspection do you have good access do you have to drive a long way
2: we are pretty lucky um, being that we're dairy land and we have lots of farmers around we seem to have we actually can like kind of pick and choose which i've heard other people talk about for driving hours and hours to get to there Processor, and that's just one direction. We have multiple processors around us, and we've actually been able to like trial some. You know, we've tried one, and then we finally found one that we really seem to enjoy. It's a smaller butcher, USDA inspected. So that's how I'm able to sell parts. And they're a small mom and pop butcher. The owner is always the one to answer the phone, which is great because then I can. You know, you feel like you have a connection if anything goes wrong, which there has been things that have gone wrong. You know, the butcher date got moved last minute all of a sudden, and we were able to deliver the hogs to his house. They took them in the next morning for us. So that was very generous. (laughs) And not something we always run into.
1: Yeah, that's a unique situation. Hey, we're dropping these off at your house.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think we feel lucky that we, have that option, and there's ones we haven't even tried that are near us. Because uh, the first one we had, they're a little bit bigger processors, um, and they they have a saltier bacon normally. But because our pigs are fattier, I just think they soaked up the salt. So our bacon was extra extra salty.
1: Mm.
2: So you know, we're able to try someone new.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that is a nice resource, and and it's one of those things as you as you settle on one and you find. Uh, a, a partnership there that you can establish, then you can start looking at some of those details and, and, and get all that ironed out. Mm-hmm. But that's great. Yeah, I, I envy that. I'd love, I love to have more than one option. There are options quite a few hours away.
2: Yeah, that'd be tough. Um, other things we've, like last year I would say it was like our year of first. We had our first successful litter, our first, my first time castrating, hmm. Um, our first death by another animal, and oh. then our first prolapse rectum—that
1: was fun. Wow, you have had a a potpourri of hog issues there, then.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, let's. let's We're not best. Yeah, let's unpack a little bit of that there. So, obviously, castration. So, did you uh, did you go it alone? Did you have some help? Were you trained first? How did you take that on?
3: So,
2: I would say I went it alone with the training of YouTube. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, I think I watched your video at one point. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> to, you know, finally feel confident enough to do it. I mean, I, you know, I grew up a 4 h butchered chickens, butchered, you know, done venison, so I'm not like the squeamish type, but there is something different about castrating a live animal. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. and, and it's it's funny how, uh, and again, people that don't understand pigs, and they say, well, well, can't you just band them? Why do you have to get a scalpel? Why do you have to well, do all this stuff? Just band them like they do everything else. And it's like, okay, well, well let's stop and have that conversation. But, but yeah, there is something intimidating about taking a scalpel to a live animal that's um, that's being very audible at that time.
2: <laughs> exactly, yeah. And I've get exact. i gotten that question multiple times. Like, can't you just band them? Um, I wish. That would be a lot easier. Yeah, <laughs> but exactly. No, but not quite that easy. But after our first one, I can't lie, I did crack a beer before I had that first one that I did.
1: Was that for I'm you or the nerd. pig? <laughs> <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I probably
2: wish you could have had some cute. <laughs> That's right, yeah.
1: One for you, one for me, Let's let's both chill out for a bit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, it, it is different when that animal is not quiet, you feel extra rushed, but it, it all ended well, everything healed great, and then after that, I actually helped a friend, I cashed hers for her, and then I got a piglet in return, doing that and then I've done others so you know once you get that first one done it's really not that
1: bad exactly yeah and it's it's uh you know uh, practice makes perfect uh, in that situation so the more you do it the more comfortable you get with it and uh, the better you get it a lot lot, okay so so we have to we have to ask the question I'm sure everyone's listening saying okay you got to tell us about this animal kill so cross species animal kill What, what happened there
2: so you know we have chickens you know, most people have had layers, something, some predator gets them. Mm-hmm. That's pretty normal. It always is a, a bummer when you go out there and you find feathers on the ground. But pigs, you think, you know, these are kind of like solid creatures. You know, you try to lift them up even after they're a few months old. You're like, these things are solid. Um, but one evening last winter, midnight, Saturday night, midnight, I think it was about... January, February, this dog is at our door. We don't have dogs. Uh, this Big, big dog was at our door, and I thought nothing of it. Oh, someone's dog sat out, you know, gave him some water. It was really cold, and I was like, hmm, maybe I should check my animals. And it was a wolf hound. It was quite a big dog, mm-hmm. very, very large. <laughs> it actually took the back out of one of our three-month-olds. And so we did have to put it down. Oh my um, that was quite the hard thing to call the owners and kind of deal with that situation. Yeah, so,
1: yeah that that that's I'm sure that was awkward. I'm sure you being upset at the time. Yeah. And, and the awkwardness of saying, "Hey, your dog just killed one of my farm animals." By law, you mm-hmm. know I'm allowed to get uh, compensation for that. But yeah, hmm.
2: and they were very good about you know paying us for a, a pig that we would sell at full five, but. You just don't expect those things, you know. Things come up when you have livestock, you know. If you have livestock, you have dead stock, and that's part of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a part. Keep moving of forward. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, that's, you, you got to, if you haven't had loss yet, count yourself lucky, but it is coming. Uh, it, it's inevitable. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And then you just, we kind of had a few rough months there where you're like, in the middle of winter, had a couple of deaths, and it's like, okay, but then you get through it and kind of, Still
3: stronger
1: in the end, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, again, what well, doesn't kill you makes you stronger, we kill your livestock, but exactly. at least it makes you stronger, <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: All right, well, well, Andrea, let's uh let's uh, let's close with a question, um, that I like to ask everyone. So, in your experience in these past three years, what is your favorite thing about raising pigs on pasture? I
2: think there's like kind of two halves to that, at least for us. I love seeing them out there there's something about the attitude of a pig on the farm uh, they almost act kind of like dogs in a way they come running when they're called they swap over for belly rubs
3: uh,
2: we've had a couple get out nice if the only livestock that we eat um, that if you kind of like scold them they'll run back so that's always been a fun experience so you know having the personality on the farm has definitely been a bonus and then, of course, the flip side of that, I've always enjoyed having a meat-producing animal that has a superior quality of meat, and you know where the meat's coming from, what you're feeding it, and, you know, we really enjoyed that and yeah.
1: getting
2: used to having them on the farm.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. I, yeah, I love, yeah, I can, I can definitely concur, I love knowing that we're raising our own meat, that it's good quality stuff. And we're in charge of that. And, and just knowing that hey, feeding my family something that uh, was raised on the farm, it has all of our sweat equity in it. So that's great.
2: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: All right. Well, Andrea, if, if people want to learn more about your farm, your homestead, where can they find you?
2: We have our Instagram page is pretty um, you know, we post the most on that. So that's at Rooted underscore Acres underscore Homestead. Mm-hmm. We also have a Facebook page, Rooted Acres Homestead. And you can message us on that and
1: find us there. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll share that in our show description so people can find that and uh, check out what she's got going on there. Got some really neat p- pictures of, uh, of her setup. Well, I really yeah. appreciate you coming on the podcast, and, uh, and thank you so much. I, I pray you have a good season as you move into winter, and you all can stay warm and dry.
2: <laughs> thank you.
1: All right. Well, take care. If you want to know more about Andrea's setup there, it's uh, Rooted Acres Homestead. Uh, I'll put some, uh, some details there in the show notes. You can check that out. I appreciate her coming on the uh, channel. If you uh, happen to be at the Homesteaders of America conference this weekend, that's uh, October the 12th, or October the 11th and the 12th, uh, look for us. We should be there. Our plan is to, to be there and be uh, be there for the two days, checking things out. Uh, I know there's a little bit of crossover there. If you haven't yet and you wouldn't mind taking the time to give us a review, just uh, go to iTunes or whichever uh, feed service you use, give us a review, give us a rating. That helps other people find us. Um, I still have a couple um, interview slots left in the month of October. So if you would like to be on the podcast or know somebody that would, please just go to redtoolhouse.com, click on the Pastured Pig Podcast link, and there's just a simple little form there that you can submit uh, information to me. All right. Well, I hope everyone has a great week and uh, have fun out in the pasture. All right. Take care.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.